boy is fused like fire. So stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot, hot, hot. Welcome, everybody, to Back in My Day podcast. My name is Michael R. Power, and today I have the power once again because our host, David Petrangelo, couldn't be here. Uh, so I will be your host on this journey back 25 years. Uh, but luckily, I have two great, great co-hosts with me today. I have uh, my normal co-host, Ian Walter, and special guest, uh, Stu from Stu World Order. So guest first, uh, Stu why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a bit about your podcast, what it's all about, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael. So yes, I am Stu. The podcast is the Stu World Order podcast, where we review random comic book movies with our guests. And I've got to have at least one of you two on. So keep up with me in the DMs and Twitter. I will schedule at least one, if not both of you, to come on my show. Uh, This is the worst kept secret about my show is... We're recording this right now. It's December 11th. I have every episode of my show recorded up through like the middle of April. So (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure this episode I'm recording with you will come out right quick. But if you guys are on my show, no one's going to get to hear that for months. (laughs) But I do want to have you on. Sounds like you're way more efficient than back in my day. Just saying. <laughs> it's, it's nothing is timely. I bring people on. They pull a random movie from my list of comic book movies, and that's what we talk about. So nothing is pressingly timely. Everything is pretty much evergreen for my show, so I can release stuff whenever. And in addition to the podcast, if you don't mind, I have my website also, which is swoproductions.com, where we have new articles every weekday. Monday through Friday, we have reviews, lists, some fiction that gets put up on there, just all kinds of entertainment stuff, all the, the days of the week while you're bored at work. Yeah, awesome. and that's that's great. And it's a great format for a show because, you know, for our listeners, hopefully you're already uh, in tune with what SWO Productions is doing. If not, Stew World Order uh, is a really cool show because basically you give uh, random options to your guests, right, of comic book movies, which we love here on Back in My Day. So you get to pick from three random comic book movies and then Stew, you're stuck with whatever gets <laughs> chosen by the guest from week to week. So that's awesome. That's a great idea for a show. Yeah, my current show, the one that's coming out or the one that is out right now, I guess it's current for the next three hours anyway, but (laughs) the current episode is Justice League. That's right, yeah. The original Joss Whedon cut Justice League and the person when they gave me their three numbers, one of their choices was the Dark Knight. And I was like, and you chose to make me watch Justice League. Was that that Shaken with Shana, right? Yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah, because I just... I just listened to that one, actually. It was very entertaining because, I mean, I'd rather listen to a podcast about that movie than actually go watch it again. So there's, <laughs> there's value to that as well. So. All right. Uh, yeah, so thanks, Ian. Thanks, Stu, for joining us. I do have to come on that podcast. Uh, I love comic book movies. I have, my Letterbox account is, like, dedicated to comic, comic movies, so it's perfect fit. <laughs> so this uh, podcast, Back in My Day, is the podcast where we look back in time at the things we loved when we grew up. It's a podcast about nostalgia. Uh, we always have a theme running through the year where we look back 25 years. So that would be 1997. And so today we're going back to 1997 and we are going to talk movies. We are going to review the fifth element and we are also going to rank our top five favorite movies from 1997 each. And maybe at the end, come to a consensus of, you know, the top movie of 1997. So we have Dave's list, we have my list, Ian's list, do list. So 
Uh, before we do that, let's we all watch the fifth element. So um, let's get into it. Let me start. Ian, what did you think of your rewatch of the fifth element? Sure. I was looking forward to this one. I think uh, sparked uh, a little bit of interest actually talking with you, Stu, where we were talking on Twitter and like you hadn't even seen the movie. So I was like, that always makes me excited when like someone's discovering something for the first time. And it's always good because you know, as many times as I've seen this movie, I haven't seen it. So, you know, when you when you revisit a movie, you never know, is it going to grip you the same way it did with that sort of nostalgic feel now you might not know how that felt Stu, but i'm sure power would because we're, we're big fans of this movie growing up and it was just great to get back into it and i think like this is a great 90s film it just feels that way it's sort of in that era between like you know the the classic action movies of the 80s and you know er, and earlier and then like just before that kind of like upgrading quality that we saw in the early 2000s uh but either way i think uh this movie knew what it was going for and i think it nailed it i, th- I still think i really enjoy this movie and we'll get into why uh but what did you guys feel on uh power on rewatch and Stu as a first time watcher yeah i want to hear Stu's element. thoughts before i get into i want to hear what fresh eyes thought of this <laughs> uh of this classic sci-fi movie so i have been spending so much time since covid started like since we initially went home and were locked down i decided i'm gonna fill in a bunch of my movie blind spots so i have seen a ton of movies that everybody else has seen in the world many times for the first time just within the last three years and yeah just about a month ago i came across this people talking up online and people are saying like oh this is a movie you need to see uh it's between that and tremors everyone keeps telling me to see tremors too but i chose the fifth element i watched it for the first time and you know without getting too much into the meat of it it's a movie that 15 20 minutes in i was thinking oh no this is going to be another one of those (laughs) beloved movies that i'm going to dump on (laughs) i know exactly what you mean (laughs) But it really picks up and it gets so much better as it goes. And I, I ended up quite enjoying it. That's awesome. That's nice. Awesome. I nice. know what you mean yeah. about the 15 minute mark, but we'll get into it for sure. Power. All right. All right. My overall thoughts, uh, you know, I actually have a big soft spot for this movie because, you know, back in the 90s, sci-fi was good. Sci-fi was, you know, harder to find for, um, you know, 13 year old kid or however old we are, 10 years old we were 10 years old and i saw this movie and it really captured my imagination i really you know luke Besson's his like most popular movie his breakout kind of director role and you, know, you got bruce willis in there and, and so it's it's got the 90s feel 90s vibe and i loved it um looking back on it you know it doesn't hold up as well as i wanted it to i have just one kind of gripe with the main through line of the plot but other than that i think it's a fun ride I think there's a lot of cool inventive stuff in there and it brings me back to the 90s which is always a great feeling and so you know i enjoyed watching it again but i have more issues with it than i did when i think thought about it in my memory i guess you know i thought it was this perfect movie and then i rewatched it and i was like yeah it's not perfect it's got problems but it's still fun you know it's still fun <laughs> yeah i know for sure and you know thinking about it when you look at it aesthetically you can see okay sci-fi and you can see even though it takes place relatively on earth and in space like mm-hmm. there are maybe connections to star wars you know as star wars fans i would say that there were definitely some of those because you know the special editions they were re-released in 97 same year this movie came out and then when you look forward to the prequels from then on like even attack of the clones i get some of the vibes there like the the stuff we were getting with the flying calves there's there's definitely some similarities but i actually found more similarities maybe some of the comic book movies 
of the 90s and, and beyond with this film, even though it's not necessarily a comic book movie, it just, it does feel like, uh, the, it, I think that even though a lot of the stuff that they're doing are cliches and this and that, I still really like the writing of the film. I, I thought as we went through it, I'm like, it's very clever the way it went, went better, even if they're going about it in a way that's very intentional. I felt that it was like thought out and planned out that way. So yeah, I was like, I was, I think, um, Stu, I'm with you in that. Like when I first started, I'm like, oh no, is this not as good as I remember? But <laughs> it's because when it starts off, it's it's got a very serious up, and that seriousness is also it clashes with the maybe campy nature of some of the aesthetics, right? So it's like, so you, you do have to kind of it has to find its groove, and it it's not until about 15 minutes in that you actually meet um, Corbin Dallas, which is like probably great the great 90s you know, between him and and Lee, yeah. <laughs> And between Bruce Willis's character and Mila Jovovich's Lilu, I mean, like those are like the, the core characters that, that grip you on this this movie, right? So it's like, well, there's one other, and we'll get to them. But uh, it's just that that opening. It's like, okay, it's that very like mythology setting up, you know, the the reason why there's this these stones are being kept on Earth, and it's there for Earth's protection from a higher higher evolved species that wants but then they need to come and get this weapon and retrieve it for their own purposes for war and they promise to bring it back 300 years later and this and that that's all very like exposition heavy and like mm -hmm. trying to get you into this new mythology and then you get like the immediate threat of it which is basically like i don't know if you guys got like for me i got like fantastic four green lantern vibes <laughs> like the the giant gas ball giant planet that just like oh, yeah. keeps growing in its evilness like is it a, you know cloud galactus or is it somewhere else you know so, <laughs> so something like that but uh once you get past that and you get into the the ground level story with uh with our everyman bruce willis and, yeah and yeah Lilu, so let's it starts let's to pick break up. it down a little bit let's how we like to do it uh Stu, is usually just talk about the three acts the three act structure and like what you liked what you didn't like so the first act being the sort of introduction in ancient times and then um you know the 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 the, the big threat coming and the introduction to bruce willis so is there anything that stood out in in the first act that you really liked or really didn't like or anything uh, like that? i'm I'm very hot and cold on Bruce Willis. Like I'm not the gung-ho Bruce Willis guy. A lot of people are like, this is good. Die Hard is good. Sin City mm -hmm. is good. And then I have a hard time thinking like, what would be my fourth favorite Bruce Willis movie? But the movie picks up substantially when you get to him because yeah, as Ian was saying, the the early, like the Luke Perry stuff, which I love that Luke Perry is like the fourth <laughs> or fifth credited guy in this cast. Yeah, he's, he's in, in it for like, like two minutes at the beginning. <laughs> yeah but it's the nineties and they had Luke Perry. So we're throwing his name in the credits. And then even after that, I love, and uh, I forget his real name, tiny, but I just always call him Zeus. Cause he was Zeus uh, from uh, oh. no holds barred. Are you talking about um, the priest, the president? Oh, oh president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, I love that you cast him as the president. Tiny <laughs> yes. Lister. Yeah. That's it. Because, That's it. Because he was the, uh, he was sort of like the aggressor in Friday. Right. And then uh, now he's being like, you know he's president of the federation so it's, like, a, it's I, a cool turn for yeah, him yeah i can't imagine like any other movie in the world looked at him and was like president that's what <laughs> yeah, the role yeah, yeah. for him is in a lot of ways this movie was forward thinking in that regard because it was like uh you know we'll get into another one of my favorite characters in the movie did about halfway through the movie but there's a lot of other things that were kind of forecasting and uh, i'll just tease ahead to that but as with regards to the luke perry scene i thought it was interesting 
every scene seemed to wrap. And this is why I was think, thinking of it in terms of comic books. It was written like you were reading issues of a comic. Like you would that scene and you'd get the Aziz light. And then like even that moment had its own like where he called it out again. And then it was the, the aliens shining the light. So it's like, yeah, everything seemed to be like carefully planned out that way. I kind of like that about it. Even though if the, the dialogue seemed a little like campy at times or whatever but i think the actual writing of each scene had it was like poetic in a way uh but yeah so they they got the great setup there we've got corbin dallas in his apartment and uh he he has to i love how he's he really feels at home in his place like every time he's at home he's able to like manipulate the events around him like anyone coming to his door like there's a guy trying to trying to rob him he's got the picture on his forehead of the hallway to block the camera (laughs) (laughs) uh like there's some great moments there and then you know um we're introduced to Lilo as being the uh, fragment of DNA that the surviving fragment of DNA recovered from the attack. Those warrior, the warrior race, the Mangalores that attacked the the other aliens before they were able to kind of bring the stones back to the to Earth, right? So, so that's kind of where we're thrust into this, and and that's another moment that gives me like Star Wars vibes in a way. The the way how everything was convenient and lined up in a way that mm-hmm. like it was like the moment where the story really takes off for in the world of Fifth Element. It's like this is like the inciting incident is Corbin, obviously meaning Lilu, but like everything else, it kind of just seemed to line up. You know, you could look at it one way and say, oh, that's all very convenient, but it, like I said, it is kind of like poetry in that way that just seems mm-hmm. to all click together and it's very 90s in that regard what do you guys think of like the scenes in his apartment and like the way that corbin dallas and lilu connected and i like i like the world building i like the like oh this is what the world might be like i thought it was very a lot of it was very clever like if there's if there's aliens and stuff you would then need you know almost like a president of the world to talk to other planets and then um just the way like the police sort of had you know when they pulled him over they kind of like they like harnessed his car right if there's flying cars that'd be a way to pull all that stuff like, like a lot of thought went into like this is what apartments would look like in the future they'd be you know they're getting smaller now and it's sort of like a micro apartment where everything moves into place and maximize the space like all that i thought all that stuff was really well thought out like the cg um wasn't the greatest but it was 1997 and then they even had like a 3D printer. It was the evolution of the 3D printer, which well, I don't think was a exa- thing in 97. And they <laughs> and 3D that- printed the human being, like they 3D printed Lilu, right? I was like, oh my God, this is... So it was all it was all pretty um, good no, sci-fi I think- stuff, I thought. I think that's a great point because even if the VFX aren't the greatest, that actually felt like a realistic scene to me because it's mm-hmm. something that actually, you know, we could do something today, like not to that extent, but, you know, with 3D printers... Uh, and the uh the drive-by like vendors like food trucks to your door like all that stuff was great like the chinese food um yeah man so uh Stu, what are you thinking about this world as we're starting to stepping into it so i'm the easiest mark in the world where i watch any movie and they're like oh the protagonist has a cat i'm like i like that protagonist i, <laughs> I support this character the cat is irrelevant to the movie but i just i like the, the old cat, cat in the tree uh trope <laughs> or whatever <laughs> But yeah, it was interesting. Um, You mentioned before about the Star Wars correlation. And I think the thing to me, and I forget their names, I'm bad at remembering, the aliens that are transporting Lilu, like the good guy aliens. And for that matter, the bad guy aliens, the shape-shifting ones, they both look like something that would have come from Star Wars. Like if, if you just took them out of this movie and put them in Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones or something, they would have felt completely natural. So I think... I mean, this came out, what, two years, one year before Phantom Menace? I'm not a huge Star Wars guy, but it was first, right? Yeah, well, 
yeah, so you're right. Like the they had released the special editions in '97 to get us all ready for the prequels. The prequels came out: Phantom Menace '99, Attack of the Clones '2002, and Revenge of the Sith '2005. So this movie does predate the prequel trilogy, but it's also like I don't know if Lucasfilm was at all involved in the VFX for this film. I should have looked that up. But it's mm-hmm. it's uh, George Lucas had already done his pass at like redoing the special editions for the original trilogy with special with the vfx yeah so i just like that like around you, the same time yeah star wars is such an established it like it is the sci-fi franchise the sci-fi movie mm-hmm. and this did such a good job it's not aping but it's knowing what the kind of things that would fit in a star wars movie mm-hmm. would be and translating them to this movie i just thought it was a, a really all good all the job. aliens yeah. were practical effects yes right? yeah which which really helped which i really enjoy which was kind of like the original star wars that's what yeah. kind of made it feel uh star wars-y to me which and no no surprise that you didn't remember their names because they're the mundo shawans they don't really oh make, yeah <laughs> they don't really make it memorable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because they got the Mondo Shallons and the warrior race was the Mangalores. So Mangalores, like they don't yeah. necessarily make them like the most memorable names. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I just thought that everything about the setup, well, I mean, like once you get into the groove, I think about the 20 minute mark, once like Corbin and Lilu finally meet, like it's really starts to fire. Like it's like from scene to scene, like there's, there's really no slowing down from that point on but uh you know it, it does take a little bit of like oh we're, we're fine and bearing but thankfully for power and i we've already we know the destination so hopefully <laughs> hopefully you got there as well but uh yeah we got the big bada boom moment which i always love in the cab uh meeting uh ian holmes character uh, i thought he was a good addition to this movie as well he plays the pr- priest cornelius who's b- very much like determined comic to get relief him. in a way yeah yeah and he knows times, yeah. and well him and his assistant his assistant was hilarious to me because he was like i, I don't even know how to describe it he was he, everything like about him pissed you off like almost intentionally <laughs> like he just like he he was like he was not very competent scene but then he still had an important role to play and and carried through to the end of the film but he was like definitely the character where you're like oh get this guy like as far away from <laughs> Corbin and Lilo as you can, but he, you know, even he had his part to play. But, uh, but yeah, and then we, and then we had um, introduction to the villain or the antagonist of the film, not the giant gas ball of evil that I was talking about before, Mister Shadow, but Gary Oldman's character, Zorg, which I also kind of love his portrayal in this movie as well. Like I, I was worried that it wasn't going to hold up, but he still like he still crushes in my opinion from on a revisit. Uh, what do you guys think of Zorg? and Gary Oldman's unique accent take on this. Okay, I this oh, is true. Ahead. I read it read it somewhere that Gary Oldman makes up a different accent for every role he plays. <laughs> yeah, I, read, and, I read that too. I think it's true. Like, even if he's doing an American accent, he'll do it slightly different, right? Even his British accent. So what a unique choice to be this, like, almost like Southern drawl accent in this, like, alien world. And, like, I don't know. I just, I love Gary Oldman. He, he really inhabited the character and it was unique looking character that was one of the most memorable characters of the movie actually and i thought he was just chewing up the scenery every scene he was in he was a great villain so yeah no nothing but good things to say about about him zorg was his name yeah yes yeah that name i knew (laughs) (laughs) i think the thing with gary oldman is he has this ability in movies like this where he makes bad acting seem oscar level 
because yes. so true. Gary Oldman doesn't have bad acting in him. Gary Oldman is a legendary classic actor, but you can tell like he comes on to this movie, he reads the script and he knows what he's doing. Like he knows I'm not getting nominated for anything for this movie. I am going to make it seem like I am having all the fun in the universe <laughs> filming this. And it's it's so palpable that that's what's going on with him. Like you just, he, he, he seems like he's having a ball in every scene. And I genuinely think his death, which we'll get to later, one of the most fun death scenes in any movie ever, just because of him, just because of his reaction to everything. Yeah, I think it was great. And for me, it was like, okay, this time around, I was paying a little bit more to the, attention to the writing, like I said. So I'm I'm looking at him and yeah, on the surface, he's a mustache twirling villain like you would expect in any movie of the 90s. But I'm actually looking at him and going, well, this is hilarious. Everything he's saying, you know, if you think about it, he's after some stones, right? He wants to pretty much like even out or create chaos in the world to like, you know, he has that speech where he's talking to uh, Cornelius, you know, and he's t saying like, you know, if you take a look at this glass sitting on its own, it's boring. But if you knock it off the table, you break it, all of a sudden there's jobs, there's engineers coming into how do we improve on, you know, cleaning up this mess and everything like so basically chaos, it, it, you know, his you can see his motivation and it's like I'm not equating him to someone like a Thanos level villain, but it is there like it is in the writing that this is why he thinks the way he does and you believe it like you buy it right so I'm not like saying he's exactly like someone like Thanos or like the Joker but he does have his motivations they are set out there and I, I thought it was like really funny kind of an angle to take like you, you kind of compare him and go oh yeah he's chasing some stones and he's trying to like you know <laughs> create chaos in the universe <laughs> so <laughs> so i thought that was pretty funny he's um, the hero of his own story yes exactly which you, good you can, villain should be yeah you can he's you an can agent of chaos you can basically. understand <laughs> his, his angle at the very least right so yeah. so then you get into the i would say the second middle of the movie is, yeah is basically like um them going on the run and it starts off with like uh, everyone's coming to Corbin's apartment. I, I love that sequence of events because it's just like, again, he is the master of his own domain and mm -hmm. everyone's trying to mess with him and he's got like little compartments he can stash people away and he knows how to deal with the police and everything. And that's the other thing, the, when the police show up, like anytime the police show up, they're forcing everyone to put their hands on these circles. I'm like, I'm like okay, this is a futuristic, but it's pretty much like a dystopian future in that sense. Like mm -hmm. no one would want to have to live under like, that much scrutiny where you're having to put your hands on the walls or you know maybe get blasted yeah, get the traffic traffic accidents and your like computers like reporting you instantly right and you're getting yeah, deducted yeah. points it's like it is dystopian in that sense but yeah. it is kind of you could see it happening yeah technology yeah yeah so you got the government come to court and it's, this is how i'm saying it's convenient because it's all lining up the government's showing up because they want to take him on they want him to go on the mission they've already engineered the contest that he's won. yeah what's convenient is she happens to fall in his cab and he's the person the government happens to want to be on the mission and the two things yeah. aren't connected really that there's it's very convenient that he like she falls in the cab of the person the government wants to send on the agent. Yeah, and I had I had less of a problem her. with it's that. Like, I had uh, more no. problem with like the fact that he had to go and try and like kiss her, which is passed out. At least she pulls a pistol on him and tells him what's up because I love how they kind of oh, yeah, flip yeah. that as the movie goes on. They kind of flip the roles so that she's the powerful weapon and he's like, you know, she's wants to protect him and that kind of stuff. So there's like a bit of back and forth there. But yeah, there were a couple cringy moments where you're like, okay, you didn't really need to go and like kiss this unconscious girl, but you know, yeah, either, yeah, <laughs> that's not definitely. Here we'll get into um, that later. But yeah, so so we got the government showing up. We got Lilo, Cornelius, and his 
henchman guy, the, the side sidekick there. Um, and then the police are coming. And the police, he made that interesting twitch because he knew the heat was going to be on him. So he he fooled. He had that one crazy tenant guy who he put his name on his door so that the police would go there instead. So they nabbed the wrong guy. Um, and then that's why the Mangalores think that that's Corbin and take his identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because like he was just in his own apartment. Like, yeah, he was saying, screw you. But they just, you know, they wasted him, too. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. And then, uh, you know, the priest uh, in Holmes character actually steals the tickets and take off. And there's a whole sequence with the airport where Corbin Dallas has to catch up with them and everything. But there was three different sets of people trying to get on this flight as Corbin Dallas, which was amazing. And then yeah, Zorg. Has that moment where he's like, I'm pissed off. You know, I I didn't get what I wanted out of the situation. And he just has the ability to just bomb uh, the airport at the precise location that the guy he wants. Yeah, to he also of. has control over the police. Like, I wasn't clear what his, like, Well, he's, he's uh, the ultimate reach capitalist, was, but, right? So I can yeah. I can buy him having his hands yeah. in all the, at least the earthbound pots, right? So, um, yeah, so I think we'll, uh, okay, we have about nine. So we'll just keep talking for about nine or so and then i'll send out a new link um but yeah so what did you guys think of the airport sequence this is sort of the middle of the thing i I, we're getting we're building up to a moment that i definitely want to touch on which is when they get on the plane what do you think of everything uh getting on getting uh, corbin and lilu onto the plane so for me um the airport sequence is the first truly great segment of this movie because I think the best parts about this movie are the chaos aspects, the things where like things are just happening so fast and there's levels of things stacking up on top of each other. And that's what I love. I think this movie handles it so well with the way it cuts between scenes and it does it earlier whenever uh, the priest is finding out that Zorg doesn't have the stones, but Zorg is also finding out that he doesn't have the stones. So you're cutting back and forth between him saying, I'm screwed, and the priest saying, oh, we're saved. And then they just do an even better job of it at the airport sequence where it's the the cuts are just from this character to that character to what these characters are doing. And you've got the minion guy saying, oh, there's no way on the plane. And then you immediately cut to the priest, like going up with the landing gear, sneaking (laughs) onto the plane. And it's that's what I really loved. I just love the frantic energy of those scenes whenever that kind of stuff was going on, where it's just stuff on stuff on stuff on stuff and it's easy to keep up with though like it's not burying me it's not making me think like where are these people in relation to each other i don't understand anything it's just like it's giving you that good form of nervous energy where Mm -hmm. there's just so much going on and i i want the heroes to make it out yeah yeah well said no it's it's you nailed that that's it was a great scene I, i i really enjoyed it too so basically, I don't know how you guys feel, but again, watching this movie is great to revisit it. And, you know, as much as I enjoyed it overall, it's not until about halfway the, through the film where this really kicks into high gear for me. It is when Chris Tucker's Ruby Rod enters the scene. Oh, yeah. A little tease of him at the Steals beginning. the show. <laughs> for yeah. me, he's my easily my favorite character of this movie. Yep. And like, he reminds me why I have such affinity for this movie and why it's so nostalgic is because everything that comes out of this guy's mouth is pure <laughs> gold for me. And it actually hit me harder experiencing it now in, you know, 2022, just because like, I feel like he was 
forecasting like we're all sitting here on a podcast we're all we're either streaming we're doing all this stuff this is what this guy was doing he was going to live streaming yeah before youtube was a thing yeah he's he's basically out like our essence like yeah does he go Mm -hmm. a little too far does he get a little misogynist does he do all this stuff yeah he does but like it's chris tucker in the 90s and it's like a role that was made for him like ruby rod is easily my favorite thing about the development and when he kicks in it's like he couldn't have come in like you know he, he could have been there the whole time but like he definitely raised the stakes for me and yeah we do get a little hint of him in the beginning but you don't really know what it's really about until you get him on the plane and he's inviting corbin dallas on here and of course it's corbin and lilu but he only really cares about the guy who won the contest who's going to be on his show and he's like yeah. trying to get him to you know liven up his show a little bit and give him content but he's like only giving him one word answers and that's only making uh you know ruby rod that much funnier because his reactions are hilarious pop it demon uh hi unbelievable wither ladies wither he's gonna set the world on fire right here from five to seven you know everything there is to know about that demon his dreams, his desires, his most intimates of intimates. And what I'm looking at, intimate is his stud muffin's middle name. So tell me, my man, you nervous in the service? Not really. Um, and he just like, when, and then when you get him off air too, he's just like, you know, his, his spastic self. And I just love everything that Chris Tucker brings to this role. What do you guys think about Ruby Rod in Fifth Element? Yeah, the energy, the fr- the energy he brought to the movie. It just ramped it up. And then he's also the comic relief. He's also be to be there in the action scenes and be like, the guy doesn't know what's going on and provide that comedy. So it can be sort of an action comedy. So he's really, really important to the movie, I think, um, making it fun, entertaining. And yeah, he was born to play that character, like you said. He he just crushes it. Every line is hilarious. Um, yeah, it just his outfits, his flamboyantness, <laughs> him yeah, with man. the him with the Chris Tucker uh, gets to flex like, his everything. love for like Michael Jackson and like just yeah. go go crazy. Yeah. Right? It was it was such a unique like thing that added into the movie. And when it happened, I was like, oh my god, I, was, I forgot about this. But then it's like, do I like this? And then the more it goes on, it's like, yeah, I love this character. He was providing so many laughs. Uh, so much energy it's great i don't know what do you think of it Stu? were you on the same train as me and Ian? so having having never seen this movie until recently i have seen lists that are like the worst movie characters of all time and i've seen this <laughs> character listed or the most annoying the most obnoxious like i know this character is at best i would say divisive mm-hmm. so when he came on screen i was like all right this is where the movie's either going to really mm-hmm. pick up or really come down for me I loved him. I don't know how you'd do this movie without him. I thought he was the best part of the movie. He he cracked my shit up because he's another guy like Gary Oldman who's just like, I'm here. I am putting 100% energy and effort into this role and you will never say that I came onto this movie and didn't try, man, because I'm trying. Oh, yeah, no. I didn't know it was a divisive character, actually. That's interesting. That's news to me as well. But But um, I could see that and I, I think that this movie becomes... A forgettable or at least run-of-the-mill sci-fi sort of 90s film without something like Chris Tucker's character. And I think you're right, Stu. I think it makes or breaks the film. Like, I think if you get halfway through and you really hate what he's doing, you probably don't put Fifth Element high up on a 97 or 90s action film list, right? So if you love what he's doing and you think he's hilarious, maybe it does elevate it to that kind of uh, top-tier status or 
you know, at least cult classic. Uh, but it, it definitely did it, it, its decent numbers. I think at the box office, I'm pretty sure it did pretty well. Like like you said, Power was who did the professional uh, lay on the professional. So he loves that kind of femme fatale. So you can see that coming through with Mila Jovovich's Lilu. Um, yeah, man, I thought that he gets on the plane and yeah, I mean, okay, it's a little ridiculous what he's doing, you know, the womanizing and everything. But at the at the very same time, I mean, they are poking fun at it, how ridiculous it is. And they're doing the thing that they love to poke fun of in films like Austin Powers, which also came out in uh, 97, where they, but this one, it, was, it felt more genuine or like, part of the fabric of the film but they were cutting back and forth with like explosions and doing like innuendo you know sexual innuendo between like the between the legs and then like the rising of the every, of the landing gear like everything everything was kind of in sync and very intentional I, I kind of appreciated the way what they were going for as despicable as some of the acts that were being portrayed on film on screen were i thought it was still pretty funny uh, but yeah, man, everything that he was bringing to the table, I loved. And then we get into the mix of like the opera. And so, I mean, you have a literal space opera on scene. So <laughs> don't come at me and say that my literal. references to Star Wars are that off base. Because I think there were some heavy sort of messages there as, as far as like what inspired this thing. But uh, yeah, the, the space opera was a cool sequence, action sequence, but also like a cool, I enjoyed, it's an actual opera singer that they got to play um, that the singer on stage and she did a pretty good job and kind of brought me into the moment until it really started to pop off that the mix was good What did you think? Um, it was great. No notes, really. Uh, just loved more of the Chris Tucker stuff. Um, yeah, there was, it was a bit of a, the, the MacGuffin of the rocks that they're chasing. I thought that was kind of interesting that they hid in with her, and she was kind of like a spy and an opera singer. Than the way Corbin had to get them from her dead body. Spoiler alert! But um, yeah, I really just want to talk about the ending, actually. So I will save most of my thoughts because I have most of my thoughts about the ending, and okay, I really huh? want to get into that. Yeah. Stu, what do you think of that opera sequence? Uh, again, yeah, just like Michael said, really great with the um, Chris Tucker stuff. Obviously, he's a ton of fun. And then you get into the action set pieces. And again, you're going a little back and forth between Corbin's action sequences at the actual opera and Lee Lu's action sequences with zorg's minions or, or whatever, what have you back at her room. So really good action set pieces. Yeah, it's... I don't want to say like everything. No, because that's not true. I was going to say everything after the airport stuff was kind of a letdown. That's not true. It's fun the rest of the way, but it definitely peaks with the airport stuff. And everything after that is still good, still fun, but just not as memorable for me. 
All right, that's fair. I like the uh, when the countdown is happening and uh, Ruby Raj is freaking out. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. basically every time he goes like Corbin, Corbin, man, like I'm just like losing oh, he my added shit. he made um, the action scenes like uh, um bet like he made that whole all the action scenes like without him they would have just felt so dry and like yeah he was they uh, needed him the comic the comedy mixed in there made, made it more of an action comedy which I appreciate sci-fi action comedy which is a great combination. Yeah, Ruby Rod was like doing the he, he was doing the countdown, you know. He's like nine, eight. He's like, yeah, I'm counting, I'm counting, and then and then it's of course Corbin who's like ten, like you know, dramatically afterwards. Um, but yeah, he, he meets up. He goes back to the room where Lilu was fighting in, and there's the whole like bomb ticking away. And first of all, he goes, he says to the guy, "Did you guys catch this? It's the guy from Something About Mary." First of all, who's yes, like outside right. the door? I was, yeah. where, I was thinking about what that guy was from. His oh name was like I don't know what his name was. It was like Fog <laughs> or something. Anyways, but he yeah, Fog. And he was sitting outside the door. And he's like, "Are you in charge?" And then he basically goes, "Well, Mangalores won't fight without their leader." Okay, well that's again convenient, but it's it's cool that like I, I could see this. I think this was like the big trailer moment where like. Corbin Dallas walks in, taps the guy in the head. It's like, yeah, uh, you know, he's supposed to be negotiating. He's like, you know, he, I forget what he says. It's something along the lines of like, oh, you know, anyone else want to negotiate or something like that? And then it's like, I could see that being like a big trailer moment for Fifth Element. But then uh, we go to this kind of like Lilu discovering that like she's a weapon, but she doesn't know what she's fighting for. She doesn't know if humanity is worth saving. So there's some interesting things there. Um, but there's the, the, again, the count the countdown going down where like <laughs> what Cornelius sees it he goes he doesn't even say what it is but the exchange between him and uh, Ruby Rod it just slayed me like it's just basically like no 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 it's like no 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 it's not a bomb like he knew what he was gonna say he's like it's not a bomb it can't be a bomb there's bomb detectors and then the bomb detector goes off overhead it's just like mm-hmm. I loved everything about that uh, exchange and then uh, you know they get out of there but then we have Zorg who goes back and this is amazing because he takes his sweet ass time, like knows everything that's going on, walks in there smooth as hell, hits it, you know, deactivates it with five seconds left. And then the Mangalores get their revenge because their own bomb pops up with a five second counter. <laughs> yes. Guess what, bitch? Time to die. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, What'd they're his enemy because he kind of, they kind of. He's an arms dealer who kind of screwed them over. Yeah, and they got their revenge on him. So yeah, he's that was just the hammer. You know, he's got that. Big yeah, yes, over there. <laughs> yeah. What'd you guys think of uh, Zorg's way? I know it's Stu. You tease it. I know Stu. Yeah, depth, he mentioned so. this before. Yeah, big fan of that. Just Gary Oldman's reaction whenever the countdown comes back up. Because, like you said, he's just so nonplussed about this countdown that's going on and he just lets it tick down and then he goes up and he deactivates it with, like you said, five seconds left. And he just seems like, I'm in control of everything. There's no problem. And then, yeah, their bomb comes up with the five seconds. And what is it that he, he says something, but I can't even remember what. It's just his facial reaction and the timber of his voice just just sells it, where he's just like, oh, yeah. no. Like, I know what you mean. I don't remember the exact line, but it was along the lines of, like, perfect. Like, something yeah. like that. It's just like, oh, God. Like, it's just like, but yeah, like, oh, crap. But yeah, no, he's just, he's gonzo. And then this is kind of where, I don't know, Power, I think you're alluding to this. It's like, it's kind of over, but not over. And it kind of gives us this kind of epilogue. Uh, where they have to officially save the world with yes. the stones. They're still the big threat of the smoke monster. So they yeah. get the stones. The 
do the you know the priest is there to guide them through the ritual and this is what i want to talk about I but talk i about i love that ruby rock goes with that first of all because like he yes, could have just checked yes. out at this point and i think uh, uh corbin says to him like you know trying to keep you in the dj business that's what he says like he's like <laughs> like basically what are we doing like trying to keep, you, know, alive, to keep yeah. you alive yeah um but yeah we do get to this and then for better or for worse some of the best uh ruby rod lines come out at the end mm-hmm. here but uh what do you guys think about the sort of end sequence here yeah like of course they have to save the world you know in the, in the sci-fi movie but i want to talk about the lilu character because the biggest problem i have re-watching this movie is that well let's just jump ahead like the very end the fifth element all she says she's the fifth element right all along and it's teased from the very first scene that the fifth element will come and save humanity i don't think we talked about that yet so she's the fifth element i really really like her character i like the acting job um what i'm not buying is the love story that's oh, yeah. the problem and like like it starts off in of a time, cringe yeah it starts off in a cringe and 80 yeah. percent of the time they're together someone is passed out that and it's like how can you have a love story where like most of the time they're together someone is unconscious one of the two people so i believe well, that yeah. yeah bruce willis corbin Ellis is in love with her because he does the whole puppy dog oh lilu like all this time well, and, and like, like it's, all this it girl seems, i met it's like archie it comic level purely tease. superficial because he's basically like talking to his employer about how like her dimensions and stuff yeah and it's, just like, it's just the it's about the way she looks and then and then i guess we're supposed to believe that she loves him back because you know the love wins the day in the end and that's the problem that right if I, if I was thinking this movie in my mind, it's like, yeah, it's a great movie. It's like four and a half out of five star movie, at least. And then when I watch it, I'm just like, well, the main crux of the movie is that they save humanity through the fifth element, which you think is this girl, but ends up being love. But the love story in the movie, it does not work at all. So the whole movie kind of falls apart in its message, its message there. Yeah. And that's what's disappointing to me. That's the part well, that I found the most disappointing. If they had told a really good love story, that end scene could have been really meaningful and impactful, but it just wasn't. It was just like, I don't buy these people are in love at all. And so that was my disappointment with the movie. Everything else about the movie I really, really like, but that was my big disappointment. I don't know, Stu, I saw you nodding along. I, I assume yeah, that's, you had similar feelings. I thought very much the same thing when you get to this end of this movie where the scenes that Willis and Jovovich had together acting off of each other, they had really good chemistry, but there weren't really enough of them. Like you said, half yeah. the time, either she's unconscious and he's carrying her or he's unconscious in the airplane or the, the airship going to Flossed in Paradise. And then, yeah, at the end, all of a sudden, she's just like, oh, God, war, humanity's not worth it. And he kisses her and is like, no, love is worth it. And it's all right. I mean, that's a really cheesy ending. And then I had forgotten. I just had it on in the background and it just ended. I forgot that it ends on essentially a freeze frame of them banging. And I was like, oh, yeah. did we need it the That's people. so awkward. <laughs> yeah. that, that's almost as bad. There's another Bruce Willis and that a movie that ends on like a freeze frame. I think it's unbreakable. It's, it's like as much as I like that movie, too, it's like the end was just like, why did you do that? Like, it's just yeah, like, yeah, freeze. Okay, so, so, <laughs> so it was a, so a big Ian, thing in the late 90s. What are your 2000s. thoughts? What are your thoughts on the finale? Um, listen, like it comes together. I, I think that, like I said, the movie was kind of it reached a crescendo with the whole like action sequence and, mm-hmm. and especially with Zorg's death scene was probably like the, the climax there. But then, you know, we had to kind of resolve everything. And I, I do love the Ruby Rod being involved and being like, I got no fire, I got no matches. <laughs> like, <it's just> like, <laughs> like everything about him was killing me. So I think that kind of carried me to the end. But if you told me, like, okay, again, it's not a comic book movie but i'm trying to make a comparison if you told me that there was four elements to come together with a fifth element to fight a giant gas ball in space 
Well, that's Fantastic Four from 2005, right? No, it's Fifth Element from With 1997. The blue beam in the sky. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But is this I, the first blue beam in sky movie? You know this blue okay, beam so, in sky. So the, did it happen a little show? quickly and was it a little convenient? Yes, but I think that ultimately the point was made, and I think it was a little poetic. And yeah, do they have a great love story? No, but at the same time, I think Corbin just needed to prove to Lilu there was more to humanity than just war and so he showed that there's a side you've you've seen you've been on this adventure with me there is definitely more to humanity than just death and destruction so yeah. that's basically the message saying, and i think on paper it works really well and i can see them being like oh my god this great idea it's like there's this fifth element and we don't know what it is but then you have this love story and in the end their love is the fifth element it saves humanity and like that all sounds good but in the execution like the love story was so lacking throughout the movie that that's why it's a letdown. Yeah, and that's that's totally fair. But I think that by the time they roll credits on this movie, yeah, that that end piece was a little bit of a drag. But at the same time, like it kept the com- comedic nature. Like, yeah, we didn't need the the sex scene and the thing, but at least like it's like at the expense of the president of the federation who's just mm-hmm. trying to congratulate them. Like it was done, it was done for laughs sometimes. So it was like it's okay. Like you look back at these movies you look back 25 years i think there's still a lot more to love for this movie than what you can pick apart and what what doesn't work i was i was just gonna say like i agree with everything you're saying obviously i mentioned the love story didn't entirely sell for me either but i think this is one of those movies that's the definition of it's the journey and not the destination Mm -hmm. like you get to the end and they wrap it up with a cheesy ending and that's that's fine because for them it was hey we have this really interesting story we have this great direction style that we're going to take it in we have all these fantastic actors because honestly tucker oldman and jovovich i think they're all bringing their a game here and bruce willis is is good but i mean like i think those three are phenomenal to the point where bruce willis giving a really good performance is like the fourth best performance in the movie to me yeah to some degree like you don't need you just need willis to willis everyone else needs to put on a performance but you just need that kind of like die hard every man action hero to go through the journey with like a yeah, Luke but- skywalker in star wars you know what i mean it's just like an every man like yeah. character and then everyone else has to come together around it but yeah yeah um, absolutely but i think you have all these other great elements making this a really fun ride that when you get to the end if the ending's a bit sloppy like ah ultimately like you guys said you have seen this movie before when it mm-hmm. came out you loved it you haven't spent the last 25 years going like, oh, remember that movie with the letdown ending? Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. The ride is worth true. it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. So final thoughts then? Or was that the final thoughts? Anyone have any final thoughts they want to give up before we move on to our lists? Go ahead. It's, if you... it's really good. I, I enjoyed it. I uh, One of those movies I waited too long to see. We're going to get to more of those whenever we get into our list. I've had a lot of 97 movies I've apparently seen for the first time in the last three years but yeah this was a lot of fun i enjoyed well, the sloppy ending but i don't care you know mm-hmm. what i've you know I've, I've heard some of your takes through listening to various uh, episodes of swo and uh basically yeah like i i think that it it brings me joy to know that you've experienced this movie for the first time and didn't come out hating i mean that means that you know there's yeah, nostalgia factor for both of us but you know we got we got our new fan of element uh <laughs> in the midst so that's great and now we want to talk about 97 as a whole we've been building up to this the entire year we've been talking about movies from 97 movies that are 25 years old we did it for 95 we did it for 96 we're now in 97 in back of my day so let's talk about our top five films from 1997 and 
feel free to bring up honorable mentions along the way. Yeah, that's uh, it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it off actually because yeah. it's the perfect segue for me. I don't know if this is gonna be in either of your lists for 97, which is fair because there's like I said, easily I said off off the air, there's easily 75 plus films that are like memorable from 97. So yeah. that's year. a lot of films. And so for me. Fittingly, number five is the fifth element because uh, honestly, like there's so many great movies and it was very hard to place. But having just watched it again, I can say like it doesn't take that much of a hit. Like a lot of movies do. I mean, we just covered Spawn, where I thought I actually liked that movie until I watched it again. And like, there's nowhere it's <laughs> yeah, nowhere. That was near a fun episode. <laughs> it's nowhere near this list. And on that note, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to waste any time talking about the fifth element. We just covered it, but <laughs> I will say there were a couple fun things when I was looking at the 97 films. We often reference how there's like this phenomenon of like twin movies. What's what do they call it? Twin movies. Um, so I don't and know like, if this is gonna be like an volcano and Dante's Peak, exactly, yeah. which yeah. are both from 1997. So yeah, great, great White point. House Down and Olympus Has Fallen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if there any of these are on your list, but like having mentioned Spawn, Spawn and Batman and Robin, two comic book films, and then if you extend that to superhero films, there's also Steel from like the Shack movie, which I'm sure is on Dave's list, which we'll cover. <laughs> um, but there's also like you mentioned, Volcano Dante's Peak, also 97, and Jungle to Jungle and George of the Jungle were also 97. So a couple of twin movies phenomenons there that'll, that are and then of course, without spoiling or trying to spoil Powers List, we all know Underworld was on yours, right? Somewhere at that point? Underworld? Was Underworld ninety seven? Oh no, 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 no! It's not not the OG Underworld. Bad Shimmer. Oh the, the, yeah, yeah, the Rob summer Rob movie. Yes, yes. Oh <laughs> my god, thought it was gonna be. Yes, up there. <laughs> I thought it, that's right. That's and right. And then of course, yes. Stu, I'd be really disappointed to see if uh, Leprechaun Four in Space was. Not <laughs> but I am way... a, I am a huge horror franchise guy. I don't know that I went with the Leprechaun franchise long enough to see him in space. Okay, well there you go. So speaking of space movies, mine's the Fifth Element. What's your number five, Stu? Uh, my number five, and this is going to start, my number five, four, and three are all movies I've seen for the first time in the last couple of years since COVID has happened. Number five, I have Con Air, one of those movies that nice. it's, it really is just so ridiculously stupid. And I remember watching this movie and just going along and you have Nicolas Cage doing this weird accent that I just didn't understand why he's doing it. And all this weird stuff happens and you have Steve Buscemi's character who's completely extraneous and it's, it's so dumb, but it's so fun. And you get to the third act of that movie and it's just loud noise and chaos for like, 40 minutes and in the best way like you can do that and it can just get boring after a while but man i remember watching con air and just being like just smiling because it's like this movie's so loud and dumb and it's making me so happy <laughs> i love Great Con Air as well that was also fighting oh, for a spot in my top five it was right there fighting for it and maybe if we had watched con air instead of fifth element it would have landed there <laughs> but as of right now it just edged out it got edged out by fifth element. what about you power what's your number five all right, for my number five, I just want to throw out my honorable mention to one of my favorite movies of 97, but I definitely couldn't put it on this list. I don't know if you guys have heard of Double Team, the <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme, wow. Dennis Rodman. Yes. Yes. Dennis Rodman, actually. In Amazing. 1997, when I was, uh, like, whatever, 10 years old, this is the movie that me and my friends would rent from Blockbuster <laughs> all the time. We thought it was the greatest movie. We thought it was the coolest movie ever. 
I have not watched it since 1997, so it lives in my head. It's like this amazing movie, and I'm never probably going to rewatch it and ruin that. Like Dave uh, ruined Spawn for me when he made me rewatch that. So I, know. I had to just I had to just throw out Double Team because it just has like a special place in my heart. But realistically, I couldn't put it on my top five. So my top five, my favorite movie is 1997. My number five is uh, Chasing Amy. Oh, which nice. I didn't watch back in 97. I watched it sometime after. I think it was uh, University. Probably my favorite after Clerks, Kevin Smith movie. I love that it's about a comic book. Uh, color and letter or whatever it is and and i just think the movie's great like it's not his funniest movie but as far as heartfelt and messaging and everything it's it's his best one so um yeah when i watched it i was just blown away that it was the same guy that made you know clerks and dogma and everything so i yeah i absolutely love love chasing amy i know i love it and i don't know if it's yeah. on the list but i, know I love that it. film and i was wondering yeah. too, if this is one of the ones you've seen it as of right now Chasing Amy. No, I've seen that a long time ago. I've seen all the Kevin Smith movies. I didn't see it when it came out. The first of his movies that I saw was Dogma, which I saw in theaters. And then I went back and caught the rest. I really loved Chasing Amy in the early 2000s. It was probably my favorite of his at the time, but it's one of those movies I'm too scared to revisit because I worry that it's aged super poorly. Yeah. I just don't want to watch it and feel bad about it. So it's... I didn't revisit any of these movies. So yeah, that could be true. Yeah. these are all like my rankings based on most yeah, of my memory. True. But, true. Yeah, it's true. I do. I yeah. do love that. I movie. hope it holds and up. Fittingly, it is my number four. So yeah, Chase. Oh, Andy. nice. It's Kevin Smith and it's probably Kevin Smith in his prime. Like, Love Clerks, love mm-hmm. Mall Rats. But I think by the time he hits Chasing Amy, like this is a well-rounded movie. It's not just played for pure stupid laughs like it's actually mm-hmm. like got like not, not to say that there's no message in clerks or mall rats it's just got more of a heartfelt message like you said power so definitely uh, agree with you there for number four and your number five and my number four chasing amy Stu, what about your number four uh my number four and i'll give away the rest of my list fifth element didn't make my top five if we get into top tens fifth elements in okay. there but Fifth Element didn't make my top five because there's a better science fiction movie that came out in 1997 that I also just saw this year, and that's Starship Troopers. Amazing! Oh, oh. great choice. I'm glad Starship you brought that Troopers up. is yes. everything we said about the Fifth Element, where it's so much fun mm-hmm. and it's such a great ride, and then the ending's a letdown. Starship Troopers never has a letdown. Like it has this great message, and they took this book, this pro military industrial complex book and they just turned it on its head and just made fun of everything that book was supporting and i just love it i love the messaging i love the 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 bugs i love everything about it i thought it was just one of the greatest sarcastic movies ever yeah no i i love starship troopers like it it you know it probably doesn't land in my top 10 but it's like there are so many good films from 97 like i I feel like it 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 deserves a spot and maybe like a top 20 or something like that like i wanted so much to be able to talk about this so so glad you brought it up because starship troopers i think for its time was amazing i don't know about to be honest i haven't revisited in a while and i haven't picked out any of the sequels or anything that came after it but like i remember loving that film and i might have even loved it as much as fifth element but i just think that like even thinking about it before re-watching fifth element like it's stick stuck with me more i think it's probably like i said that chris tucker role that probably i don't know if there's a, a role that matches that in my mind from Star- no. starship uh, I love but maybe it's, it's something i should list. rewatch 
it's not on my five. It would be on my 10, but I loved it. It's one of those movies that I watched when I was far too young that I should have watched it. And when <laughs> yeah. you watch me like that, it really just like, it yeah. you love it that much more because you're like, yes, like to see all this stuff and hear all this bad language. But anyways, my number four, this is going to be a really funny pull if you listen to our uh, 1997 movie wager episode, because you'll remember I didn't this movie on my oh. list because i thought it was some sort of kevin you sorbo thought it was a kevin joint. sorbo film but yeah, yeah i the number four on my list is the animated uh hercules disney movie that's my fourth favorite movie 1997 and i actually you know i did my rankings based on my letterbox which i have linked every movie i've pretty much every watched been a lot of time on there and um this movie is really high on my you know we ranked all the disney classic movies and this movie is really high on that list and yes i was 10 years old in in 1997 so that's why it holds such a special place in, in my heart so i had also had sisters and so i watched a lot of little mermaid and beauty and the beast and then finally we have like hercules which is almost like the boy not yeah. since robin remember, hood did we get the boy uh animated movie so i really loved hercules i think we saw this in theaters together actually we did yes yeah yeah oh, nice. yeah it was good when we were really young Mm-hmm. but yeah so hercules is a good pull i don't have any animated films on this of mine but uh definitely love that one it's definitely in the top tier of the disney animated classics love some, some hercules studio have you seen that one i honestly haven't i am obviously i i'm listening to you guys talk i'm a little bit older than both of you so i was kind of out of the disney animation age i was like 16 or 17 in 97 so i was i was in that age where you know it's like i'm too cool i'm an adult now to watch right. disney movies yeah. and it wouldn't be a few more years until like what was it the emperor's new groove is the one that came out and i was like shit this is still amazing i gotta still yeah. watch these so yeah. i kind of missed the ones at the very end of the 90s like this yeah. and tarzan and what have you yeah, Emperor's New Groove is amazing too, and that just made the '90s cutoff. Being in '99, um, James Woods was a great Hades and Hercules. Love that yes. role. Uh, so yeah, so for moving on to number three for me, there's a lot of great sequels in '97, and uh, for me, I would say this is forever in my top five of '97 films. Scream Two. I mean, I, I'm a huge Scream guy. Um, love scream it was my favorite movie of 96 obviously and uh this i mean back-to-back years going to see this in theaters like i didn't see the first one in theaters i saw it on vhs but then i was like definitely seeing number two in theaters and uh you know speaking of chasing amy from chasing amy to scream 2 we had a cameo from jay and silent bob themselves in this movie so there's a lot to love about scream 2 i don't know how you guys feel about it but for me definitely top five 97 scream 2 I yep, like rewatched it recently franchise. and love it. Go ahead. No, I just think we rewatched it recently and I love it. It's great. It's a good choice. It's good in your top five. Yeah, I like the Scream franchise. It's it's nowhere near as good as the first one is kind of its problem, but the the scene in the audio studio where like they can't hear each other and he's stabbing mm-hmm. Dewey and Gales. I think that's a phenomenal scene across the entire franchise. I also like how Scream made its popularity off being like very meta and preferential and then like referencing other horror films was a big thing. But in Scream 2, like they had the actual like, I don't know, the scene in the the college film class where they're basically picking apart and they're talking about which sequels surpass the original. Like everything about the writing of that like is pure what I love about Scream. So yeah, Scream 2 is definitely up there for me. Uh, Power, your number, or sorry, Stu, your number three. So my number three, 
I would be surprised if it's not higher on both your list because I imagine this is a lot of people's number one for 1997. But another movie just watched within the last couple of years. Absolutely love it. It's aged so much better than I could have imagined. It is about one character taking another character's face off. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, and amazing. back to the Nicolas Cage well for 1997. This movie not only would have been a great 1997 action movie, if you watch it now, it feels like a loving homage to 90s action movies. Like it's aged almost into a a loving parody of itself. And I, I just, I, I got such a kick out of it. It's so much fun. Oh, I love that pick. I love that pick. That's great. I gotta say, I, 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 sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'll, I'll you go first. I, I'm just saying, I love that pick because I, I think I made it. So if you don't know, Stu, like we do this summer movie wager, we picked off of uh, Slash Film Cast or whatever. And it was basically like, we look at what movies are coming out in the summer and then we try and rank how they're going to do in the box office. But throughout the pandemic, we've been going back 25 years and without looking at the numbers, trying to predict what we thought would happen in like 95, 96, now 97, right? So we've been doing this and then the penalty or the the winner gets to choose a movie that the rest of us have to watch and then we break it down on the show. So that's a bit a big uh, brief of what we're doing with summer movie wagers. But basically, like I mentioned that there's two Nicolas Cage movies this summer you know, Con Air and Face Off. And for the life of me, like, my go-to is Con Air. So that's why Face Off isn't on my list. But I love them both. But, like, when I try and think about them, I, I, I think I just need to do a, a Nicolas Cage rewatch at this point because I don't know. I think it's Con Air that I would like better. But I would love to see if I watch them again, like, where they would fall, like, if I would actually prefer Face Off. But I, I do remember Con Air kind of gripping me a little bit more. And that's why it sort of made my lit or tried to make my top five here. But phase off is just a little bit lower than Connor for me. Power, what were you going to say? Sorry. No, I was going to say that I like Stu's list better than mine, actually. It's more fun. Yeah, it's more fun. fun. <laughs> I, I, I love them. Like, those are all movies that it's like, I love them. But I don't know. I, like, I just feel, I don't know. I just don't put them on my top five because they're not like seen as um. I guess good movies. They're so campy, but they're. they're I'm, still I'm a popcorn them, person. So. I like. Well, I'm glad I like, that you have. This. I like yeah. dumb things that make me feel good. <laughs> no, those yeah. are, you should not feel bad at those choices. Like, those are great. When so, we did our '95 list, I think we did it like we tried to do it as if we were back in '95. Whereas, like now, I think it's just, it's, it's too crazy yeah, to try and put yeah. ourselves back yeah, there every time. Yeah. So yeah. we just do it like overall now. So when we're doing our '95 list, it got kind of crazy because we were like, okay, yeah, mm. I really love this movie, but I don't really yeah. love it now, and this so, and that. But, but yeah. Oh, so my so, number three is a super basic pick. It's actually Titanic. I actually um, really like that movie. Right. I know it's that's basic, and it's I just I love James Cameron. I remember seeing timely the choice. Yeah, with my mom, who's <laughs> Irish, probably the theaters, and you know. Um, anyways, I just it's it's a great movie. Hey, you it, don't it really is. Apo- a good movie. You don't got to apologize for Titanic. Yeah. I mean, it was the most the biggest like, movie the, of all time. Yeah, biggest movie of all time until uh, you know until he topped himself with Avatar. So yeah, great choice, Titanic. Um, so as we move into the top two, gets a little crazy. It was really top tough for me to place mm-hmm. here, and I wasn't gonna make the same mistake that I made when I was doing my summer movie wager picks for '97. I'm going number two, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Oh wow, you're a fan of uh, The Lost World, are you? Okay, I am. Uh, not only was it a huge, massive film when it came out, mm-hmm. because I think we all have expressed our love for Jurassic Park, the original. I mean, it was literally, spoiler alert, our 
movie of the 90s for back in my day episode 100 we did a bracket and uh we basically pulled all these 90s films together from everybody who's like listening and everybody's involved with the show and we came up with this huge bracket and we tried to duke it out to see what the best movies of the 90s were going to be it was kind of coming down to like things like the matrix on the high end and jurassic park on the lower end of the 90s so yeah jurassic park is massive and uh the sequel it might not match up to the original in the way that scream 2 doesn't match up to scream but it was enough of a fulfilling sequel for me kept me in that world and still gave me those like classic jurassic park vibes and i think still carry through to this day like I might rewatch it and have to reconsider, but I think I've seen enough where it's still stick in my mind as like a solid sequel to the original. I still prefer The Lost World to any of the Jurassic World films. Yeah, I'm actually not a fan of any of the Jurassic World sequels. I'm glad to hear you like it, but they just, they, I mean, there's that one great uh, glass T Rex scene in The Lost World. And other than that, I'm not a huge fan, but I'm glad to hear you like it. I don't want to you know spoil your parade here so Stu, yeah. you're number two we're in the we're in the, we're in the top two here uh my number two is in my opinion i don't want to say if it's his best but it's probably my favorite jim carrey movie i'm gonna go with liar liar i i think that movie is hilarious yes I, it was the first movie of his and i know he did uh dumb and dumber and ace ventura and the mask which i also like but i think liar liar is the first movie where i was like holy shit this guy is the funniest man on earth yeah yeah. in 97 he was the funniest yeah i think yeah it's his best role where he's over the top and silly but not like obnoxious because i don't really like ace ventura i didn't really like dumb and dumber they felt like they wanted to get on my nerves liar liar was just like oh he's this guy and the pen is blue and i love it (laughs) oh man no no. it's like ace ventura was my first exposure to uh jim carrey and i definitely saw it three times in theaters even at that age it was the first movie i saw like more than once in theaters it was crazy uh but yeah it was because my aunt took me out i shouldn't have even been in that theater and then i was like i have to go see this again and again uh loved ace ventura but liar liar is a great entry in the jim carrey pantheon and uh it was definitely between that and connor they're both fighting their way to try and get on my top five but they didn't quite make it but i love liar liar what do you think power yeah no another good choice i i seriously thought about it because I, I do love liar liar and it was like a family favorite and you know jim carrey as being a fellow canadian we absolutely love jim carrey <laughs> up here he is such a legend i can't believe i don't have any of his movies on my top 10 but i'm glad Stu came in with the liar yes liar thank you the podcast for saving <laughs> this episode we Stu. can keep our canadian uh, passports Yep. So uh, my my second movie. Um, so again, Stu, great list. My movie's not a uh, comedy, or my movie is Goodwill Hunting. I didn't see this movie um, back when it came out. My wife actually introduced this movie, and this is a little bit why this movie is uh, special to me because when I saw the movie, I was blown away how good it was, and I loved it. And it it always reminds me of when my wife and I first started dating because she showed it to me like early on. But that's like the feeling I get with the movie. So I associate that with, you know, meeting my wife, with watching this great movie, being blown away with it. And the performance with Robin Williams is just so incredible. And it's my favorite Robin Williams role. And I just think it's such a good movie. I keep, I slept on it until like, you know, the like almost mid 2000s. Like that was the first time I saw it. So it really did blow me away enough that it's all the way to number two on my 97 list. Is that one of the ones you managed to watch, Sue? 
Uh, you know what? I've seen Goodwill Hunting, but it's been a long time. Like, I think it would have been higher on my list if I'd seen it recently, but I, I, it's just been too long for me. That's fair. I love that film as well. Um, it's not in my top five, but it is definitely one of my favorites from '97. Two Kevin it's, Smith movies. It's a stacked, yeah. It's a stacked cast and it's a very well written film. Uh, oh, definitely yeah. one that's worth watching at any time. It's not. It's not rooted in nostalgia in any way. No, I think it's, it's a very timeless movie. classic movie. Yeah. Like the message, the powerful message. Yeah, and it's good to cry. have some of those on this list. It can't all just be, you know... Like, <laughs> they can't all be face-off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. can all be fun. Um, no, that's that's good. So for me, uh, I think that I'm not alone in this. I, I have snuck a peek, spoiler alert, at Dave's list. But I'm not alone in saying that Men in Black is the film of 1997. Uh, you might not agree... Not everyone might not agree, but this is like one of the Will Smith classics from the 90s. We had talked about Independence Day in 96, which kind of probably launched him into that sphere. And then Men in Black just drove it home the following year, following summer. Uh, just a great action comedy blockbuster in my mind. And and very well done with Will Smith and, uh, you know, Tommy Lee Jones. Just uh, for me, just it's like a timeless comedy for me. With uh, our boy, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, as the yes. antagonist. Yeah. <laughs> right. Before he was slapping people at the Oscars, he was slapping aliens <laughs> in the 90s. And uh, it's, uh, it is a classic movie. It's not on my list, actually, which is surprising because, you know, I I do like it, but I'm not a super fan of Men in Black like you and Dave are. A comic so, book movie, baby. It, it is. is. It is a comic is. movie. It is a great movie. Have you I'm covered that one like, yet? No, no, I don't think that one's ever been pulled. I have to double check and make sure I remembered to put it on the list now that I think Ooh, about it, but really? it's never Tr- come up. I throw it that. in the randomizer if you ever find <laughs> me on the show, right? All right, Stu, the big moment. You're number so, one. So when I looked at 1997, there was one movie right away, five-star movie, definitely my favorite movie of the year. It went straight to number one, and there was a lot of sorting out the rest. It's such a stupid pick. My absolute favorite movie of 1997 is Austin Powers. Yeah, International Man of Mystery. Okay, it's also my number one. So let's yes! talk about it. It's fantastic. It's also my number one. It yes. was awesome. It was the funniest movie in the universe oh, when it came 100% out. 100% agree. My buddy and I rented it from like Hollywood Video on a five-day rental. We watched it multiple times a day, every day for five days. That's yes. amazing. Oh my God. Yeah, not only that, my family is British and we used to grow up on James Bond movies. So when this movie came out and there's this Canadian comedian and he's like basically making fun of James Bond movies in the funniest way ever. Mike Myers had his power. Absolutely love Mike Myers. Loved Wayne's World, right? So this movie had everything going for it for me. And my family and I watched this movie as a family, like nonstop. Like every scene is is gold and hilarious. It's it's to me it's a perfect comedy. It really is. Oh yeah. yeah, and I would be right there with you guys. I think if we were doing the thing we did for '95, where we were kind of going back to '97, I'd be like hands down because this movie <laughs> was just like like you said, the funniest movie ever. And then like reason why I have Men in Black in the conversation and not uh, Austin Powers for me is honestly just because I don't think it holds up the same on rewatch. Like I think if I watch Ben and Black today, I would be laughing a little bit harder. I do love Awesome Powers for Nostalgia. I think I like the sequel, some of the jokes in there a little bit more than the, than the original, but I mean, it's still a great, it's a great pick. Love it. 
Wow. I can't you like the sequels more. I don't have to check. No, not out. not gold member, but the second one oh, okay. for me, I think, hit a little harder in the theater. Yeah. I remember loving it that much more than the first. Yeah. It used a lot of the same jokes, which Yeah. Which I'll yeah have a little say, bit of sequelitis there. Yeah. yeah. The the scene when I was young, the scene where he gets unfrozen and he's peeing for like three minutes <laughs> was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. I great. would just die laughing at that part, me and my friends every time and um yeah it's just oh, those, i just remember all it's remember a great number power. one so that's yeah. your number ones guys uh power why don't you take us out on our uh well let's uh episode. let's let's go through dave's if you have yeah we'll, you. we'll let dave throw his in there oh yeah because i think he did a he's gonna do a little thing but i'll let you know what they were and that was yeah uh, yeah he said uh well there were a lot of similarities but he said mm-hmm. that uh he liked at number five face off there you go Yay. Number four, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. I'm not alone. Uh, number three was Awesome Powers. So nice. right, right in line with everything. Number two, Goodwill Hunting. Uh, so that's another classic pick. So Stu, maybe that's one that you gotta yeah, check out. Yeah, I think I need to rewatch that, that soon. Yeah. And number one is right there with me. So we got two number ones for Awesome Powers, and we got two number ones for Men in Black. Because Dave, our gracious host, yeah. has chosen okay. Men in Black as the the movie of the '97. Hey everyone, interrupting the show here. Um, you're getting a little taste of your, uh, as Ian puts it, uh, gracious host Dave Petrangelo. Um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of uh, put my little two cents in for for a, a minute or so about my list. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot I can say about Men in Black specifically. Um, I think we've talked about this a couple times on the show when it's come up, but it it could be a top ten movie of all time for me. If not, it is very close. I love this movie. It's something that I watched over and over again, and to me is a movie that I will always enjoy and will watch honestly on a weekly basis if I could. I absolutely love it. Um, it is so so much fun and so so funny. Um, that is easily my number one Austin Powers for you know all the reasons that the guys have talked about as well um just absolutely hilarious it has been in my family these jokes and watching these movies uh, all three of them really but this one kicked it all off and it is it is excellent I I do think I I think the second one is probably my favorite in the trio but the first one is is an absolute classic and has to be on my top five um and I want to mention uh more specifically Goodwill Hunting in a way because this is not really a nostalgia pick because at the time for the age that we were, uh, I was personally just 10 years old when it came out. Clearly not a movie that I would understand. Clearly not a movie that would be on my radar. But since then, I would say within the last 15 years, it has become uh, one of those movies that is really high up on my list, especially within uh, the late 90s. Uh, it, it's just excellent. It is so well written. Um, you know, it's Robin Williams at his at his best when he's not doing comedy. You know, he is just so touching in this and does such an excellent job. To me, that's the standout, not even necessarily the rest of the story. It is Robin Williams to me in this. I just love him so much in pretty much everything that he did. And this is one of his top movies, in my opinion. He's absolutely great in it. And uh, yeah, this is this is pretty much the main non-nostalgia pick for me on this list because um, of how much I've appreciated it and been able to watch it later on. So um, I will let the guys uh, wrap up the rest of the show. Just thought I'd say hi. And uh, hopefully I will be on the show for the next episode. We're 1997 coming up and backies. You hear uh, Mike talk about that in just a minute as well. All right. Talk to you soon, everybody. So so to wrap us up here, Dave chose Men in Black, but I think 
because Dave had Austin Powers number three, doing quick that math in my head, you know. <laughs> would make Austin Powers the yep. Back in My Day movie of 1997. I don't it think I was upset with that choice. Nope. Uh, and you're the only one didn't have it on your list, so as long as you're good with it. Yeah, no, I'm good. good. There you go. It's official. Austin Powers, the, the best movie of 1997, according to us. <laughs> yeah, baby! Yeah. So, all right, Stu, thanks again for joining us. Why don't you once again tell people uh, what you do and where they can find you on the internet? Sure. So the website is swoproductions.com. You can find me spending way too much time at Twitter, at swoproductions. <laughs> And because I'm bad at branding, the podcast has a different name. It's the Stew World Order podcast. But you can find that on all the podcatchers out there. Awesome. Okay. So thanks again. Um, go check it out, Stew, at Stew World Order. And uh, it's a great show. And we all love comic movies here. So we fully support uh, a show like that. So you can find our show at Day Back In on social media. So that's the handle on pretty much all social media apps. The podcast is called Back In My Day. Uh, if you want to help the show out, you could give a little five-star review. And we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash backinmyday. So hope to have Dave back next episode. We have more 1997-themed um, episodes coming to wrap up the year. We have our year-end reviews, so stay tuned for that. Our you know our year-end, our year-end uh, rankings of movies, TVs, and video games like we always do. Um, so stay tuned for that. And also, uh, right, we're just heading out to record uh, our honorable mentions and our... Uh, six through tens of uh, right. seven movies and throwing them on the Patreon. So if you want to hear that, check out our Patreon. At I want to throw Ryan out there. I'm very days. happy. I get to mention my number six. So I'm very, yes. I'm very okay. happy we're getting to record this. Yes, me too. <laughs> There'll be some, there's some gems on there. All right. So thanks again, Stu. Thanks again, Ian, Dave. We missed you. Hope to have you back next week. And thanks everybody for listening. Yeah.